Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Everyday Mindfulness, 108 Simple Practices to Empower Yourself and Transform Your Life. Everyday Mindfulness guides you through the most powerful daily mindfulness practices that help you rewire your habits and rewrite your life. This book includes 108 daily mindfulness practices, explanations of the purpose behind each practice, and over 300 reflection questions that encourage profound self-exploration and transformative action. With step-by-step instruction and evidence-based exercises you can do in as little as five minutes, it's never been easier to make positive changes in your life. Most of us are so busy that we forget to focus on how we really feel, what we truly desire, and what we need to do to move our lives in the right direction. Well, this book is your master manual for reconnecting with yourself and your inner resources. Then you can take immediate action to transform your life. The power to change your life is in the small things you do every day. And this book guides you through over 100 simple practices in small doses so you can discover what works best for you. With everyday mindfulness, you will awaken to yourself connect with your inner wisdom, and tap into your capacity for self-empowerment, fulfillment, and transformation. Melissa Steganis is the author of two books, Self-Care at Work and her latest, Everyday Mindfulness. She is a Canadian productivity and wellness specialist who teaches expert methods in time and task management, energy management, self-care, and work-life harmony. With a background in social work and years of experience as a coach, counselor, and business strategist, Melissa brings a holistic approach to productivity designed to help people structure their personal and professional lives to be intentional, empowering, and fulfilling. You can find out more and sign up for her newsletter at melissasteganis.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in Spiritual Practice and Mindfulness, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm Elizabeth Cronin, a host of the channel, and today I am talking to Melissa Steganis about her new book, Everyday Mindfulness, 108 Simple Practices to Empower Yourself and Transform Your Life. Welcome to the show, Melissa. It's really great to have you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So maybe we could start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be interested in mindfulness. Yes, sure. So I will kick off with my long-winded story or journey. Um, Starting from the, the very, very beginning, I think it's important to note that as a kid, I 
I think I was as curious as they come. I mean, I was always asking questions, um, exploring, trying to draw connections wherever possible. And I was fortunate enough, and I'm fortunate enough, to be the only child of a clinical psychologist who really encouraged and entertained a lot of those questions. So from a very young age and throughout you know, my upbringing and my whole life, I was asking questions about why do I want to do this and not that? You know, what makes people tick really? And how can we, what leads people to change? And so all of that uh, through my, my adolescent years really led to me pursuing a degree in social work. And so at 18, that journey began and I really wanted to know why do people do what they do and what leads them to change? So after you know, those years of studying in post-secondary and, and traveling all around the world to learn about people in different contexts and, and regions of the world from, you know, the Canadian prairies where I was born and raised to South Africa through, to, you know, all across Europe. Um, I, I just began observing and asking questions in different contexts to try to unpack the answers to a lot of the questions that I had. And this process was extremely beneficial. Um, and, and it also led me to some pretty hefty realizations. So things like you are the active creator of your life. You know, yes, we are all products of, of nature and nurture, of our biological and, you know, societal programming. But you have the profound ability to identify and challenge that programming and, and rewire your brain to reshape the way you see things and engage with the world around you. So from a young age, I mean, even in my early 20s, I was having these big realizations. I also saw and experienced in my own life the power of habit, of you know, the power of everyday choices shaping your overall reality, my overall reality. And so that led me to begin delving into how to reshape my life in a meaningful and lasting way using small, small but mighty, you know, incremental 1% changes. And so when I wrapped up my degree and I was equipped with you know, these new skills, this knowledge, and these, these realizations that really began guiding my life, I wanted to begin to explore more of these curiosities and my possibilities. And so in 2014 or 2015, uh, I moved out to the west coast of Canada, where I am now, and I just began exploring some of those possibilities and interests. I would work you know, three or four jobs at a time, I would continue um, to pursue development in social work. So I would work as a counselor, but I would also work as a magazine editor. And I became a certified yoga teacher and I would teach English as a second language and, you know, take on freelance writing contracts. I just wanted to connect with people, connect with these curiosities, find new ways to ask and answer these big questions and find my path for how can I best contribute and serve, you know, other people in my community and, and at the world at large and do so in a way that 
that felt really authentic to me and that aligned with, you know, my core values of intention, empowerment, freedom, and fulfillment. And I just allowed myself with some resistance probably here and there, but I allowed myself to see this as, as kind of a, a unique time in my life um, and see life as a bit of an experiment. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I did that because around that time, so let's say 2015, I ended up connecting with a local entrepreneur. And really, this was my introduction to entrepreneurship and, and kind of unlocked the door to another level, I suppose, of, of freedom and of finding my unique path to serve people in my way. So I was hired on as the operations manager uh, by this entrepreneur who worked in business, who worked in productivity. And I learned the ins and outs of productivity and entrepreneurship. Um, and then I, I slowly kind of evolved in that role to become one of the company's coaches. And through that journey, I found there are so many similarities between, you know, what I've learned, my expertise in social work and counseling, and this world of entrepreneurship and coaching. And at that time, again, just having cultivated this kind of skill of observation, I noticed that the online worlds or spheres of business and productivity and wellness kind of seemed to explode with discussions around uh, workplace health and, you know, entrepreneurial well-being and, and mental health within the context of business. And the more I spoke with clients and colleagues and just friends and acquaintances that I had uh, about things like self-care and balance and, and work-life harmony, the more I recognized certain patterns in response. And I, I heard things like, and maybe this sounds familiar to, to whoever's listening, things like, I know taking care of myself is important, but you know, I don't feel like I have the time or the energy, or I don't know where to begin, or it just feels like another thing on my to-do list, or maybe all of the above. And so at that time, I really wanted to pull together my unique blend of expertise all across the board from writing to everything I gained from social work to business to productivity, and as well as my extensive self-study on topics like self-care, on mindfulness, on you know introspection and the things that were taught to me and ingrained in me from a young age. So I slowly began developing and delivering workshops on mindfulness and self-care for stress reduction um, to improve health and productivity and well-being. And I taught this to colleagues, other practitioners. Um, I taught entrepreneurs. I contacted community organizations. I taught high school students. I taught college students. I taught whoever was interested, whoever was, you know, kind of willing to listen and who thought they might benefit. And that slowly, um, that slowly led to just the, the next stages of kind of a, a business and where I am now. And so I would try to compile resources as, mo as effectively as possible. Um, so, you know, there's things like a, there's a free 20 page self-care workbook on my website, for instance, or my first book, uh, Self-Care at Work, which is all about the relationship between self-care and productivity. 
And of course, like you mentioned, this this new book, which is very exciting, Everyday Mindfulness, which is really all about making mindfulness practical and accessible, making it very, very simple um, and, and personal to you. So the purpose of it really is to be kind of a compilation of, of ideas, of tools, of resources, and just a simple, almost manual, like a guidebook slash journal um, to help you, to help people spend more of your time and energy, those very, very precious resources on what really matters to you, to spend them intentionally in order to begin to step almost more fully into your life and to live with greater intention. Yes, I think when you mentioned that one of the most common questions is, how do I take care of myself when I don't seem to have enough time or energy or, you know, or I don't know where to start? Like those, those are definitely top comments that people make when you bring up self-care and and all that. So maybe you could talk a little bit about um, how you've structured the book, because one of the things that I think is nice about it is that, you know, there's like this one day and this one activity and very often it's something we ordinarily do or it, and it's about approaching it with more intention absolutely yes and that was very intentional in my design of the book right i i know and i know from firsthand experience not only from talking to other people that being more mindful, that trying to begin to cultivate your own practice in mindfulness or in self-care can feel like this big daunting task and obligation. And I wanted to do my best based on what I know and the way that, you know, my, my brain kind of best responds to information to structure this book to be very accessible and just very simple. So there's there's no guesswork, right? You can open the book to any page. Ideally, you know, you'll go in order because some of the practices build on the others. But let's say you open the book to, you know, the middle and you want to engage in an exercise around your your rational or your mental well-being. And you can do so. Every day is structured exactly the same. There's a title for what you're going to be practicing that day. There's the purpose because I think it's so important, you know, the the question asker in me, which obviously is a poor <laughs> term, but the, the asker, the seeker in me is, wants to know, why does this matter? You know, it's like the high school student in math class who's like, when will I need to use this? I think it's important to keep asking that question. Why is this important to me? And so, there's the purpose behind the practice. There's some research behind it. There's how it relates to other elements of your life. And then, of course, there's the practice itself, which is very simple. I've designed each practice to take, you know, on average around five, 10 minutes. There are a few, I think, that that might be a little bit longer um, because they're spread out. They're more intensive. But I didn't want the book to feel like a massive obligation. I want you to be able, I want readers to be able to integrate the practices into their everyday life and to not have, to avoid feeling guilty 
when or if, you know, you feel like you're falling behind or you've forgotten the practice or it just feels like you don't have the time for it. Everything in the book is designed to integrate, you know, rather seamlessly into what you're already doing and to use tasks, activities, exercises that you're already practicing and engaging in and encouraging you asking questions um, to encourage you to just do those things with a little bit more intention. And so what I mean by that, and even dissecting the word mindfulness uh, a little bit more, there's not a whole lot about meditation in the book. And I think that's a a line that's um, often drawn between the two mindfulness equals meditation and vice versa. And in a lot of, you know, belief systems, that's the case. Um, I wanted to approach it from a bit of a different angle. So the way that I explain and, and kind of teach mindfulness throughout the book and in my work is equating it more so with paying attention and with intention. And so the book uses practices and activities you're already doing, but encourages you to simply do them with a little bit more intention. So the very beginning, for instance, like day one is just taking a few deep breaths and connecting with that. It's like a a quick win, you know, you're already doing this. And so if you're paying attention to the way that you're breathing and if you're using your breath as a tool to check in with yourself throughout your day, for instance, then that's a very simple and practical way for you to integrate mindfulness into your life. And of course, there's plenty of research behind that. I mean, I'm pulling from studies where um, I think it was a number of counselors were encouraged to use deep diaphragmatic breath, you know, 10 breaths three times a day. And then their cortisol levels, their levels of stress hormone were measured over a course of, you know, a few weeks. And the, the impact is major, like doing something very, very simple can lead to a major benefit in your life and for your health. And that's really what I'm trying to get at um, with with this book as a tool is, you know, you don't have to completely turn your life upside down and revolutionize your life in order to experience revolutionary changes, right? You just have to be a little bit attentive, willing to be attentive, but also willing to be patient because these things take time. Um, it's in your best interest to, you know, cultivate a meaningful and lasting change in your life, not an overnight change, and not even, you know, a three-week change, but my goal is to offer a tool, a resource, um, and actually, I mean, the book is 108 little tools that you can choose from that will lead to long-lasting transformation. Maybe you could say something about how paying attention can lead to greater well-being. Yeah. Absolutely. I think in my own experience, I mean, circling back to kind of my my long-winded introduction, I know for myself, I've experienced so much, I've cultivated so much self-awareness and self-trust by paying attention and by being able to step back, for example, in a certain situation to see it as something that is 
just happening versus happening to me. I think that's that that example comes to mind because I I hear and have heard over the years and something that that I find actually quite devastating that breaks my heart is when I hear people say or live according to the belief that you know life is something that just kind of happens to you and that oftentimes we feel like we don't have any control and we feel like we're just kind of passively floating around or taking the hits and paying attention, cultivating that self-awareness through simple, mindful, regular mindful practices allows you to kind of step into the seat of the observer in your life um, rather than operating from more of a like reactive ego perspective, egotistical perspective to see the bigger picture of what's happening around you, but also within you. And to begin to cultivate and kind of reshape your relationship with yourself because you're asking questions around what's happening and and being more open to certain events. I think such a big part of what led me to write this book is I want people to really operate from the belief or at least be open to the the, the belief and living according to the belief that well, I guess it's twofold. A, you have so much power. You know, you have the power and the capacity to make changes in your life. And I think we forget that because there are so many obligations and responsibilities, you know, that feel like they're, they're kind of, we feel burdened um, and, and we feel like things are out of control. And it's a reminder that you have that control and, and that should feel, you know, empowering and, and liberating. Um, of course, there's the responsibility that comes with that. And I think the other part, the second half, the other side of the coin is I would love nothing more than for someone to benefit from this book by feeling like, they are reconnecting to like the miracle of their existence. And I, I know that sounds, you know, like a pretty big uh, a goal or, or kind of intention. But if you step back, if you're able to really zoom out of your, you know, fixed mindset in a particular situation and, and really, really zoom out, like really understand that, your existence is amazing and a miracle and that, you know, there are an infinite number of ways that you can live your life. You have this power to make choices, to make changes, to cultivate new habits, to change the way you interact with yourself, with the people around you, with the world around you. I mean, life is just, you have endless possibilities. And I'm grateful for, you know, my upbringing. My mom encouraged me to ask those questions. I encouraged myself to to travel the world, to see how other people live. And I think just finding ways to remind yourself, to check in with yourself and say, hey, there's a human being in here. Like I am more than my obligations. I'm more than my job title, my responsibilities, my to-do list. Like, look at yourself, you know, in the mirror, look yourself in the eye and be like, whoa, there is a 
there's life, there's energy inside me, there's a human in here. I think coming back to that is just so incredibly powerful. And it might sound a little, you know, hokey or whatever, but that's your reality. I mean, we are we are made up of energy. We are this amazing life force and and we I think to live an intentional and fulfilling life, we need to come back to that that realization and really sit with it, right? And and spend time with ourselves and allow ourselves some space as well in our day to be human and to be alone with ourselves without all of the distractions of of you know the tasks that are constantly beckoning and and demanding our attention and you know our every every other distraction really that's um constantly demanding our attention i think it's it's essential to give yourself some of that attention as well because gosh you really deserve it as a human being as much as anyone else and you know that creates massive ripple effects on the work you do on the relationships you build on everything that you do so I'm very passionate about this stuff <laughs> no. oh you can tell <laughs> it's, that's and it's 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 great because the excitement can be contagious so it's really it's it's nice to hear you're so passionate what about, I'm listening to you though, and it's like, okay, who doesn't, who doesn't want lots of possibilities? Who doesn't want a chance to, you know, be more connected to themselves? And, and as, as I was listening though, I can think of some people that might be skeptical or even afraid of this. This all sounds a little like, yeah. may cause some anxiety. So I wonder if you've ever had people express that. Absolutely, myself included. I mean, there. I read a fantastic quote a few weeks ago that has just stuck on me like glue, and and it talks about the the necessity to and kind of the discomfort of spending time alone with yourself. It was like there's nothing more important for someone than to spend time alone in a room, you know, spending time with yourself. Um, I wish I would have had that quote written down because I really didn't do it justice there, but you get the gist of it. It's this idea of, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm really not asking or encouraging anyone to sit cross-legged and close your eyes and meditate for an hour a day. But that said, it can be equally as intimidating, if not more so, to check in with yourself, to ask yourself questions around, hey, what do I need? What do I feel right now? What do I want my life to look like? Because oftentimes, more often than not, I would say when we ask ourselves those questions, the answers are a bit uncomfortable. They're maybe not what you'd like to hear. And I think oftentimes it's easier to just avoid asking those questions to kind of mindlessly like scroll on social media or turn on the TV and have some, some background noise so that that mental chatter isn't the background noise. And that said, to sit with that discomfort, to be able to recognize that within yourself and to be 
like to allow yourself that discomfort is essential to making lasting changes in your life and moving toward, you know, the lifestyle that you want to live. I don't think, I mean, even though it might feel safer or more comfortable to avoid asking yourself those questions to, you know, to distract yourself with external stimulation, um, in the long run, you're really not doing yourself justice and you might not be doing justice to, you know, the people around you as well, because you're just not doing, you're not following the path that deep down you actually know you want to, to walk down. So speaking from personal experience, I mean, a big part, a big catalyst um, in the creation of this book was a few, well, occurred a few years ago after moving locations, um, kind of starting afresh. I moved to a, a small cabin pretty much in the woods by the ocean, which is where I am now. And, and I gave myself a window of, you know, four months off, just off of, of work, off of, um, well, not off of work because I was working on the book, but off of a lot of the work that I was doing in counseling because I asked myself questions around what I was feeling and if I was, you know, currently on the path that I wanted to pursue. And the answer was I was feeling really hurt. And no, I wasn't walking down the path that I wanted to pursue because I had a lot of, you know, vicarious trauma from the work that I had done that needed healing before I, you know, before I moved on to the next thing, which was delivering these workshops and writing books that I think could serve people. I wouldn't have been able to to do those things in the most effective and meaningful way if I had been, you know, operating from a place of, of, of hurt really and, and escape almost. And so I gave myself four months of, of just real vulnerability, which is what I think a lot of this comes down to. And for those who, who are used to helping others and serving others, which I think is most of us, um, certainly, you know, those who are in quote unquote helping professions, which again, arguably is most of us uh, in one way or another, it's really hard to check in with yourself and to allow yourself to, to ask for help and to, to check in and see that you're hurting and then to stop to heal with that, to, to deal with that hurt and to heal it. And during this time for me, I, I just became a little bit more comfortable with feeling uncomfortable if that makes any sense of just being able to check in with myself and know that not everything is perfect and I'm not feeling, you know, fantastic and radiant and exuberant all the time because we don't, because we're human. And the beauty of the human experience is that we feel the breadth and depth of emotion. So we don't need to be, we don't need to be pursuing happy all the time. We need to be pursuing, you know, feeling full, feeling fulfilled, feeling, well, not even that. I mean, embracing all of the emotion. We have this amazing capacity to feel. And, and I think it's important to, 
give ourselves space to do that and to allow, give ourselves permission, right? Allow yourself to be where you are and feel what you feel. And so again, circling back to, to a few years ago when I allowed myself to do that, it, (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's uncomfortable and it leads to anxiety and, and, and loneliness and sadness, like deep sadness oftentimes. But you know what? Those feelings are present regardless of whether or not you address them. You know, like the body keeps the score. I really do believe that and I found that to be true in myself and in my work. And if you're not confronting or addressing those things directly, they will show up in other ways you know, whether that's through illness um, and ailments or pains or whether that's through unexpected responses in emotional situations, you know, like it's going to present itself either way. And so I would encourage you to, to recognize it for yourself, to kind of have a relationship with it and allow yourself to, to feel the scope of emotions that you're capable of. Um, and just embrace the the discomfort of it. Yes, I'm glad you talked about that because um, if you were speaking, I was thinking, I think in the Dan Harris's book, 10% Happier, he references people's discomfort. And I, he references a study, I believe it was like at the UVA at the University of Virginia with undergraduates where there was some some setup where they were supposed to be waiting in a room by themselves and there were no cell phones. There was nothing in there except a little gadget. Mm-hmm. If you played with it, you would shock yourself. And something like sixty percent of the people ended up playing with the gadget because they wow. couldn't just sit there quietly with just their own thoughts, you know. And um, so it, it's a, you know, it's a common thing. And what you're talking about is super important. At the same time, I think what you've put in the book is uh, just all of these different practices that kind of help you work your way up to that in a way to kind of help you work your way up to like being in touch on a regular basis with even your uncomfortable feelings. I mean, I like the idea that in the book you, um, and I'm curious about it if if you have a favorite one or if if you've had feedback from people, but I just like the idea of even like you, you actually guide people on how to try to have a more mindful communication, talking, and like, look the person in the eyes. I mean, things that, what's so interesting is that we do go through our days like so, like half asleep and just Mm -hmm. doing things without really, as I say, without really being present, without the intention. And I think, um, because I think people do kind of have part of the draw to like becoming mindful or practicing meditation is you want to become more enlightened, more self-aware, be able to handle difficult situations. And I think this, the, the book, the, the practices are really take you kind of step by step. So for someone who doesn't know, like we said earlier, where do I begin? You know? Yeah. It's been really interesting to receive feedback kind of all across the the board, if you will, because I contact people and I'm, I'm corresponding with people who have no real experience in meditation, um, which is fine and great and kind of irrelevant when it comes to this book, but also 
you know, I've had some people who are just like, I have no idea what mindfulness is and I'm not really interested in finding out. And then I have people who are, you know, longtime um, meditators in different, well, yeah, different areas of Buddhism. And they're like, I have a totally different experience with mindfulness. And I love that because it is a term that you can define for yourself. It is a term that looks different in different religions, with different belief systems, with different with every single individual, right? Because it, it is something that you can define for yourself. And so I've I've done my kind of part here to ensure that the book is great for beginners um, and is of interest to those who are, you know, lifelong meditators, but who want to learn about communicating, like you say, or, uh, or, or different areas of, you know, their emotional mind or occupationally. I'll talk about the, the areas of the book in a second, just because that's kind of the purpose of it, right? Is to provide practices for every area of your life, regardless of, you know, your belief system, regardless of your, your interests. And there's no prerequisites for the book. And that was something that I really wanted to make clear because as much as I talk about, yeah, step back and be in that observer mind, that's not really the language I use in the book. Sure, that might resonate with some people, that might confuse other people, and that's fine. Like, we're all on our own journey. I just want to, you know, create some some kind of, you know, collection of tools that can be of benefit regardless of where you are. And maybe for some people, they they want to reach enlightenment, like you say. And for some people... Yeah, I just think living intentionally, living mindfully, it looks so different for each individual. And so just find what works for you, really, right? And find like, find the book that works for you, find the teacher that works for you, and find the language that works for you. Because part of my kind of incentive for writing this book was I'm, I'm kind of a blend like most of us are, like a mosaic of two minds. I'm very self-aware and interested and curious about personal development and kind of those elusive abstract concepts as well of self-care, of mindfulness. But I'm also very systematic and I'm, I appreciate structure and framework and kind of a, an analytical or linear approach. And so I wanted to just blend the two a little bit here and use language that is very down to earth and, and not elusive and not, um, not too, you know, kind of flowery. And the practices reflect that as well. Because I've read some mindfulness practices where on day one, you're meditating for an hour a day. And that is a, that's a big request. So in terms of the areas that the book covers, there are six. And the acronym that it follows is PERSON, um, because I want it to have a personal approach. I also love acronyms, like just (laughs) fantastic. Okay, so (laughs) Yeah, who doesn't? Exactly. So uh, the P stands for physical. So listen to your body and reconnect with yourself. And this contains everything from, you know, breathing to getting a good night's sleep. That makes a world of difference to, you know, what you eat, how you exercise. It's, you know, very visceral. Second, the E is emotional. So understanding your feelings and learning to trust them. 
I think this one is especially tough. Um, I've found a lot of people really feel disconnected um, from their emotions and appreciate having kind of practical steps in which to reconnect with those emotions. And again, it's about just reconnecting with yourself, uh, touching base with yourself, kind of like when you meet someone new and you ask them questions to try to get to know them, same goes for you. So that's emotional. The R stands for rational. So observing your thought patterns to, to gain mental clarity. This isn't necessarily, you know, super rational. Um, it, it R just fits better with mental, <laughs> fits better within the, within the acronym than M. So rational just equates to kind of mental. And it's not even necessarily too much about, you know, reaching enlightenment, quieting that mental chatter, but just, again, ask questions, get to know it. Why are you having, why do you think this way? How can you deal with, like, one of them is exploring the things that you worry about and then addressing those things. The S stands for spiritual, um, but it can also stand for, I think, a self relationship because the the book is is specifically designed not to be spiritually uh, exclusive in any way. So it's really about spiritual is about exploring your relationship with yourself and your truth or your belief system. So defining like the first exercise in that section is defining spirituality. What does it mean to you? What do you want to connect with? How do you define, you know, your personal truth? And it just asks some big, big, big questions um, that I've explored for myself over the years that I've, you know, pulled from other experts. And I think it's just fun to play with, right? Ask yourself questions. What do you believe? Why do you believe that? Where did that come from? How does that guide the decisions that you make? Like how fascinating to unpack your habits and behaviors based on, you know, sometimes for me, I found it something that happened when I was five years old. And I'm like, how is that still guiding me as an adult? Like that is amazing. So just to gain some personal insights, that's what that section is really all about. Section five, the O, is occupation. So because of the work that I've done in business and in productivity, um, I wanted to really integrate this, this idea of productivity in an intentional way. And because occupation, whether that's you know professional, whether that's employment or entrepreneurship or just lifestyle, because occupation really means how you spend your time, uh, I wanted it to, to be intentional. So this section is about managing managing your time and energy to pursue your priorities, right? And asking yourself questions to clarify what are your priorities and how can you invest more of what I say are your most precious resources, your time and your energy on the things that really matter to you, both in a professional context, but also in life in general. And finally, N is network. So nourishing relationships that deepen your sense of belonging. And this circles back, Elizabeth, to what you were saying about how to communicate with people. Look people in the eye. Don't be on your phone when you talk to people. You know, like things like that, that we sometimes forget or we just, things that get so normalized, being on your phone all the time um, and, and just responding, like listening to respond. And I'm addressing some, some of those things. Certainly this isn't, you know, an all-inclusive 
guide, but I think it addresses a lot of the important and often bad habits that that we get into that could use a little bit more attention so that we're not, you know, operating on autopilot, just doing what we see other people do, doing what's quote unquote normal, um, but not necessarily serving you or serving your community. So now I'm feeling curious. So I want to ask you a question about where these practices came from. Like, and were you just sort of acquiring them along the way through experience or were they things you found out about during research? It's a little bit of both. I, this book has really been a labor of love in the sense that I have notes from years ago, like 2017, where, you know, the page is numbered to 108 and I'm just writing down as many practices and different areas as, as I can think of. And over the years, I've gained feedback from friends, from clients. Um, I've taken notes on my own personal observation. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of journaling. I journal every single day and I observe, right? I think we can glean so much from simple observation and from questions that keep arising for for us and for the people around us. And so, yeah, it's been kind of a, a mishmash, I guess, of, of all of those things. But certainly, you know, in reviewing it and in going through, um, I think a lot of the books or sorry, a lot of the practices that ended up in the book are things that I've had, well, all of them I've had firsthand experience in and have tried and tested. And and I think going back to that period where, uh, you know, those four months where I really sat in the, the discomfort of what I was going through in order to heal it and, and spend time with myself, that's when I really kind of tested out the practices that I wanted to include. And I think that played a really, um, a really important role in the creation of the book because I can research, you know, we can research all day long, um, but to have firsthand experience with putting something into practice, I think that really, that just makes it all the more personal and powerful when sharing with other people. And I wanted to make sure that the content that that I provide is something that I can actually speak to in terms of, you know, it's a very personal book. I'm, I'm, there are, you know, personal reflection questions that I've asked myself. There's the purpose behind the practice that yes, I've researched, but also, you know, I'm included, uh, I've included because I'm interested in it and I've found it beneficial because of X, Y, and Z. Um, and then, yeah, the, the step-by-step, like me guiding you through a practice is going to be much more effective if I've actually guided myself through that same practice. That's one of the things I, you know, interviewing authors of mindfulness books and spiritual practice books, that that's one of the things that's really neat. People um, that write this type of book are writing about a practice or practices that have really helped them and it's you know that's the same with all of them so that's that's really kind of neat um i have one last question before i'm i I guess i have two more questions one last question that i'm going to ask you about what you're what you're doing these days and what what you're working on um now but i'm my i'm also curious like 
So what does your mother think? How does your mother feel about the work you're doing? I mean, you mentioned that she was, you know, really supportive and all that, but um, do you have her practicing these <laughs> mindfulness exercises or just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. I don't get asked that one. So I like this. Um, my mom is a beautiful human who is totally supportive of everything I do. And I'm immensely and infinitely grateful to her for instilling, you know, all of the values that she instilled in me. And it's really fascinating to have these conversations with her and, you know, to be able to hand her a book that, that I've written because I get to hear her perspective from so many different angles. I mean, like with her being a clinical psychologist, um, she, I get to learn so much more about, you know, some of the research behind um, the mindfulness exercises that I'm teaching and that I've shared. And I mean, she's also like fantastic in the sense that she's, she's open to learning about new uh, approaches to not only how she does her work, but also, yeah, the ways in which she lives her life. So I'll get calls and it's like, hey, I've tried, you know, day 83 today and this is what I'm finding. And then I'll get another call that's like, hey, this client had a question about day 14. And so she's integrating it into her own life, which is so wonderful because for you know, again, for those who are so used to helping other people, it's really important to be able to have ways that you can also serve yourself. And so we're having these conversations around how she's using the book, how her clients are utilizing different practices and how she's kind of integrating it into her practice as a psychologist. And then it also, and like, what a gift, it just elicits conversations, really open, vulnerable conversations that probably don't happen all that often between within families. Um, just really vulnerable conversations around like, here is how I'm, well, maybe not, no, recognizing that it's so much easier and we have the tendency to serve other people and put ourselves really low on our list of priorities. And so we're kind of able to confide in one another on a new level because of this compilation of, you know, mindful practices and resources. And I think that is just an amazing gift because I know because I'm such a big journaler, I have an, an entry from when I was in high school decade ago. <laughs> and it says, you know, I think I exist to have meaningful conversations with people. Mm. And now circling back i mean doing podcast interviews like this is again like such an honor and a privilege but also to have those conversations with my mother you know someone who who raised me and instilled all of these values in me that have led to a book and that have led to you know this path that i'm on to go full circle and be like you know i'm now using all of those gifts and skills to serve you in some way like it's very, very moving. I'm, I'm very blessed. That's so that's, that's nice. That's wonderful. And I love, I love that your mom is using your book with, with her clients. It's, it's yeah. a story. That's awesome. It is awesome. 
Thank you for giving us so much of your time. I don't want to let you go, though, without asking you about what you might be working on now. And are you still out there in the woods, in the cabin in the woods? Or what's going on in your life? I, uh, yes. Don't be concerned. I'm, I'm in the, my cabin in the woods. Um, I, I'm building a greenhouse. I'm, you know, restoring my garden, although not now because it's winter. But I am... I am practicing stillness, uh, especially for the winter, kind of slowing down my pace a little bit because writing a book is a lot of work and promoting the book is even more work. And so I'm, I'm doing my best to balance all of that with uh, giving myself what I need. And also I think in the new year, in the, the probably March kind of area, I'm developing and have been developing a course that focuses on uh, intentional productivity specifically. So kind of tying together because I have this compilation of tools and resources related to mindfulness. My first book kind of did that with self-care and related self-care to productivity. And now for those who are feeling like they want, you know, tangible um, tools to create their framework for their day to manage their time tasks and also energy because that's a piece that's important and often skipped out of the equation um, I'm tying together yeah a, a simple kind of course that will help do that for those who are interested and other than that we'll see that sounds we'll like plenty year brings yeah I'm I'm just sort of Focusing on how I can best share my my expertise in mindfulness. If that's a course, I'm not sure what's next. If anyone has ideas, you can reach out to me through my website. Um, but they find they'll find information about any of your future work on your website. If you do this productivity course, they can find it there. And yes, absolutely, it will be there. It will be there. Um, I believe. Between February and March, I'll have it up. It's almost done. Okay. Tell us your URL. It is... Yes. So my website is melissasteganis.com. That's spelled M-E-L-I-S-S-A-S-T-E-G-I-N-U-S.com. And you'll find there all of my, um, all the information on what I do, a little bit more about me, my books, courses, yada 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 i'm on facebook instagram twitter um although not too regularly and yeah so the best way would be to to check out my website you can also get that 20 page self-care workbook i mentioned on that site and there's other resources attached to the book everyday mindfulness at melissasteganis.com slash mindful so be sure to check those out Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. What a privilege. It's been lovely.